You know, we do a lot of things here at Grace Church. And uh, I hear stories about how you guys serve in the community. And I'm thrilled when I hear that. We don't even know some of the things that you do out in the community, and it's just an exciting thing to hear what you guys are doing, serving Jesus in that way. But one of the other things that we get to do here at Grace Church is sometimes we have weddings. And I had the honor and the privilege of doing a wedding yesterday. And the people, it was in, they're sitting up here, Tim and Angela Ball. And uh, yay! But one of the neat things, and uh, there are some people that uh, flew all the way from across the pond to be here. And they're sitting back here in the, about the middle of this, this section over here. And if you hear some people talking a little bit different, it's them. And I, I encourage you to get to know them or, get, or just listen to them talk. In fact, I want to put them in my office and just listen to them for a long, long, long time. It is just so fun. But uh, when Matthew asked... For, asked me to talk, and here we are in the summer of Psalms, he said, you know, because typically I can choose whatever passage I would like to because I don't preach that often, but he asked me to pick a Psalms, one of the Psalms, and it took me about 30 seconds to pick it, and there's a reason, and it has to do with this hat. This hat does not look like anything big. Well, it's pretty big on my head, but... Um, but when I was a young, young boy, I was probably fourth grade. Oh boy, I didn't know I'd get emotional about this. But we were on a family trip. And uh, my mom must have known that I was, was antsy and stuff. So uh, she knew I wanted, to, I wanted this hat. And she said, George, if you memorize Psalms 1, I'll buy you that hat. And so I did. So this is a special gift from my mom. But even more important for about this is that it's, it helps me remember. It helps me remember that when I hear Psalm 1 mentioned, my mind goes back to those words of the things that I memorized about how blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And we'll get more into that scripture. You're going to hear this passage said over and over this morning, but... What blows my mind is here's this guy over 2,000 years ago, a shepherd who wrote these words. He had no idea that these words would be so important to us today. And yet here it is, a passage that's so filled with meaning, so filled with some incredible, incredible knowledge that will help us as believers and unbelievers to know what's going on. So that's why this hat makes me happy. Makes me happy because blessed, the word blessed means happy. So I want you to remember that as we speak, as I speak this morning. Some of you guys might remember in 2014, there's this movie called Despicable Me. I know, oh, and episode after episode or whatever. And in that movie was a song called, do you guys remember? I'm so happy. <laughs> I would have played it right now, but you guys would have shot me because you would sing, you'd be thinking about that song all day long, I'm sure. But it, it, came, it, it was number one in 19 countries. 
And I believe there's a reason why it was such a big hit, because our desire to be happy is such a big thing, but it's often hard to find. See, in 2021, the happiness index, the happiest countries in 2021 were Finland, Denmark, and Switzerland. The United States was 18th on that list. In 2020, obviously was a particularly rough year for happiness in America, but in a poll, only 14% of Americans said that they were very happy, down from 31% in 2018. I don't know about you, but Thomas Jefferson believed that the pursuit of happiness was even an American right. So I want you to think for a second, what makes you happy? What do you think that makes you happy? You know, I've been watching on Facebook since I knew I was going to uh, speak on this, and I, you know, I, I listen and watch, and here's some of the things that make people happy, and I want you to, I want to see if you think you're your, uh, what makes you happy is on this list. Family, coffee, <laughs> nature, mountains, hobbies, babies, sunshine, campfires, cool breezes, stars, good sleep, watching movies, good weather, checking things off my to-do list. That makes me really happy. <laughs> Being creative, rescue work, gardening, home-cooked meals, baptisms, Learning about the Bible, vacation, grandchildren, and Jesus. So I began to wonder, what, what does the Bible say about happiness? And, and if it does, how can we find it? But I began to realize that one of the challenges we have with what the Bible says about being happy is the word compromise. You see, we have a tendency to believe that we know better than God of what will make us happy. So sometimes we want to compromise with what is wrong. We want to justify our behavior. And sometimes we even skip the parts of God's wisdom to fit in with what we want to do. And I believe that that's one of the things that I really have really learned a lot about in this, in this first book of Psalms. You see, Psalm 1 is a psalm of single-mindedness. It reminds us that only a single-minded devotion to the Lord each day will, will prepare us to avoid compromise of our morals. It will help us stay in our convictions and not sway us from the rationalization of our convictions. See, it, it will, this psalm will help us stay committed to our values. And that's why I think it's so important. You see, if I could sum up what this chapter is saying in one sentence, it would be this. Complete happiness comes from being single-mindedly committed to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let me say that again. Complete happiness comes from being single-mindedly committed to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let me read Psalms 1. You've heard it several times already. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 
He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Father, you are here. We know that. Father, help us to experience you as we experience your words that you have given to us. Father, I pray that these words will cause us to meditate on them, especially when we think about the blessed or the godly and the wicked, the the contrast of those two. I pray, Lord Jesus, that our hearts would be melted into what you have for us versus what we want for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Leslie Brandt wrote a book called Psalms Now. And I want to read this paraphrase. Now, I want you to understand that this is just a paraphrase, but what I think it will do is it will help us to really begin to understand and capture the feeling of this poem. The man who chooses to live a significant life is not going to take his cues from the religiously indifferent. Nor will he conform to the crowd or mouth his prejudices nor dote on the failures of others. His ultimate concern is the will of God. He makes his daily decisions in respect to such. He can be compared to a sturdy tree planted in rich and moist soil as the tree yields fruit. So his life manifests blessings for others. His life is productive and effective. It is not true concerning the ungodly. They are like sand in the desert storm or leaves in an autumn wind. They cannot stand against the judgments of the eternal God. And they are most uncomfortable among those who demonstrate genuine faith in the God of righteousness. The children of God walk in the course that God has ordained. And the children of unbelief walk in paths of destruction. Our never-ending battle or struggle with compromise is what we have, what is what's such a struggle. And sometimes we make this into our own theology, don't we? When our lifestyle doesn't square up with the Word of God, we alter what the Word of God really means so that it may accommodate our lifestyle. To be honest with you, when I was writing this, I began to feel a little bit uncomfortable myself. I began to realize that there were some areas in my life that I began to wiggle, I have this wiggle room of saying that this is okay and I begin to change how I think versus what God says. See, the psalmist is addressing the struggle that the compromising of wrong pays horrible consequences. And when I use the word compromise, it's like using the word erosion. It's never sudden, it's never noisy, it isn't public or on display. In fact, it's rather slow and silent and secretive, mostly. See, think about this. when you're, You may have a teenager who's growing older and wanting to discover and break free from being under their parents' wings. 
you will notice that they often deal and do battle with issues of compromise. And he or she will be tempted. It's not just for teenagers, is it? All of us fall into that category. But I want you to see that it's slow. If, we're deal- if you're dealing with temptation or compromise, think about that. It is slow, it's silent, and at the beginning, it's secretive. So in Psalms 1, we have a series of contrasts. As we begin to describe, it describes the opposites of being blessed, blessed and wicked. We'll call them godly in the first three verses or the, the ungodly in verses 4 through 6. See, I think it's important that as we, as we study this scripture, as we look at this scripture, that it's about being single-minded, being single-minded. You as a parent, isn't that your desire for your kids, that, is the, that they would be single-minded? That they wouldn't stray from this and that and the things that might be popular, but that they would be single-minded in discovering what pleases God, the things that are eternal, the things that are ripe. You see, when I was a coach, I, would, uh, I, would, I did my best to have my, my players to do the right thing all the time. So when they were, we were teaching them how to field ground balls, we taught them, we did the same thing over and over and over again. I wanted them to be single-minded so that they could make the regular play, play all the time. If they made the great play, great. But I wanted to make them to make the consistent play over and over again. I wanted them to be single-minded. And when we refer to the godly, I'm not referring to perfect saints. We're talking about people who live in the real world. That these are people who are doing their best to walk with God, to please Him, and to live in, the, in His grace. These are the godly that we're talking about. Again, we're not talking about perfect saints or perfect people. And when we're talking about the ungodly, we're not talking about serial killers. <laughs> we're ta- or not talking about murders or lowlifes of our society. We're talking about people like you and I who choose to walk away from the will of God and the word of God. See, the point is that we want to be centered, God-centered, and God-focused. He is to be our center. God is to be our central focus of our lives. And the benefits of making God our, the center comes with many benefits. So let's look at verses 1 through 3. Open your Bibles if you have them. I would like you to watch, follow along with me. It says, Blessed, remember that means happy, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You see, when I was in college, we learned, I didn't learn a lot. <laughs> but one thing in, my, in our literature class, we talked about this thing called parallelism. I'm not even sure why I remember this, but it's, a, it's talked about parallelism. And these are thoughts that run together that have words that increase or decrease with significance. So as I read this, I want you to see that this, it starts small and gets louder. Loud, louder, and then loud. They want us to pay attention to this. In this first verse, it moves in this intensity. 
Let's start with the word, well, let's go here. It says, one who doesn't walk, one who doesn't stand, and one who doesn't sit. One who doesn't walk in counsel, one who doesn't stand in the path, or doesn't sit in the seat. Doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, doesn't stand in the path of sinners, and doesn't sit in the seat of the scorners. So you can begin to see how this gets bigger and bigger. I like to picture it this way. The first time I read this, I, I thought of it like this. If you're walking down the street or walking down the path, and there's a group of, I've tried to figure out what word I would use for these guys, but hoodlums. You guys understand that? Hoodlums. You're walking down, the first time you just kind of walk right by them. You don't really pay too much attention, right? One who walks. The next one, if you're walking down there and you come alongside those same hoodlums and you stand there for a little bit, you begin to hear what they're saying. You begin to pick up on what, what's going on with them. And the third time is you, if you sat down with them, you begin to own what they're saying. You become a part of what they're doing. There's that progression. I told students for years and years, who you become five years from now depends on two things. And I challenge you, you can challenge me on this. Prove me wrong, please prove me wrong. But it'll depend on two things. The people you hang around with and the material that goes in your mind. The people you hang out with and the material that goes in your mind. Think about where you were five years ago and what is your life like now. Where do you want your life to be five years from now? And what's going on today? Prove me wrong, please. I've never had anybody prove me wrong. <laughs> but there's that progression. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The next verse says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. You see, the one who is blessed will find his delight in the law of the Lord. See, this is the positive side of that. We saw the negative in verse 1, but this is the way that we experience a life that is full, is a person who finds delight in God's word. So I ask myself, why? Why is that? I can think of three reasons. I'm sure there's more, but three reasons. The first one is because it provides absolutes in a world that is without absolutes. See, what drives us crazy is that we don't have boundaries. We don't understand our boundaries. It's not knowing where right stops and wrong starts. And God's word continually tells us what is right and what is wrong. You see, in the university of today, you'd never be able to say that. They'd say, how can you believe in a book like that? How can you believe in a book that's going to tell you what to believe? You can't do it yourself. But if you know me, I need somebody who's going to tell me the truth. I need someone who's perfect who's going to tell me how to live my life. And that's what the Bible does. The second is because it gives a meaningful view of life in a world that seems so empty. I can't even begin to tell you the amount of people that I talk to in my office that struggle with finding meaning for their life. Or they find it in some place where that's not, that isn't giving them fulfillment. 
You see, when I was working on my master's degree at Adams State University, I went down there, and one of the very first classes was called Introduction to Counseling. And we were in this class, and obviously I was the oldest guy in this class, and uh, we had to do these things called genograms. They're kind of like a family tree. But in that family tree, we had to put down the things that um, were patterns in the life. For example, if there were the certain deaths, if there was a, you know, your grandparents have died, we, need, we wanted to know those things. If there were addictions, if there were um, divorces, all kinds of things in this family tree. We called it a genogram and the things that we learned. And then we had to get in groups of five and talk about them. It was a real struggle as I was listening to these young people who didn't even know who their father was, didn't know the grandparents, didn't know what was going on in their family tree. My family tree was fair. It wasn't perfect, but it was fairly symmetrical. But as I'm sitting there listening, I began to think that there's two things. One is, a couple generations from now, they won't even be able to do those genograms because it's going to be so crazy. The second thing that was so much more important and so much flooded my mind was, no wonder, God had a plan. God had a plan, has a plan for our families. God has a plan, and, and that's why we need to find our delight in the law of the Lord to discover what that plan is. See, Scripture gives us a meaningful view of life in a world that seems empty. The third is this. It tells the truth in a world that is full of lies and uncertainties. Most of you know that one of my favorite verses, or my go-to verses, is Colossians 2.8. It says, Don't let the world spoil your faith and joy with its empty philosophies and deceptions based on the rudiment principles of this world rather than on Christ. So there's these two things that are going on. You have the world... And what they're trying to tell us how to live our life. And then you have Christ. If you want to challenge this, go through the, in the grocery store when you're looking at the magazines as you're checking out. All those people are trying to tell you how to live your life. Man, that's a struggle for me. I'll go on. And we are bombarded by that all the time. And, and this verse is saying, don't let the world spoil your faith and joy with its empty philosophies and deceptions based on the rudiment principles of, of this world rather than on Christ. So therefore, we find delight in this book. And in this book, we should meditate on it day and night. What does that look like? What does it mean to meditate? Last time I spoke, we talked about a cow <laughs> and how they chew on it and then they swallow it up again, their, their food. They chew on it, swallow I think that's what it's like. I think we begin to meditate on Scripture. We just chew on it. Get, a, get one verse. It's probably more than... Chew on one verse. Grab a verse that is important to you and meditate on it all week long. Just have it in front of you and think about it and chew on it and allow that verse to begin to speak to you. Allow God's Word to speak to you. So when you do this, what happens? I believe we become a different kind of person when we become, begin to meditate on God's Word. But what is it like? Verse 3, it says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Yeah, I'm sure you can 
picturing your mind these trees that are planted by streams of water. The strength that they have. I, I used to use this illustration of an oak tree, a fully mature oak tree. If you run a car into a fully mature oak tree, what happens to your car? <laughs> Not much to the oak tree. Why? Because those roots are deep. Those roots are deep and find them the source of water. And that's what this is, look, this is what it looks like. A tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers. Let's also look at Psalm 92 verses 12 through 14. It says this, The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. I love this next part. They still bear fruit in old age. Matthew, you're not old. Just kidding. Oh, yeah, maybe you are. <laughs> I better be quiet. He's, he threatened to have little numbers up here saying, okay, that was a 10, that was a 3. <laughs> but anyway, they still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. The Hebrew says fat with sap. Man, what a word picture, huh? Fat with sap. That's what you're like when you're a tree planted by streams of water. These are all characteristics of the tree that is planted, flourishing and yielding fruit, full of life and energy. So now we're going to move into the last part of the psalm, and I want to say to you people who might feel a little bit envious that you're not free to live life the way you might want to live life. I want you to listen carefully to what the Scripture is saying about them because these words tell truth. Remember, God's Word is truth. When I read this, something, when I was studying for this, something that came to my mind is that you just can't pick and choose what you want to believe. What you can't just pick and choose what you adhere to. See, there's times that I want to say, yeah, but God, you just don't know me. This is what will really make me happy. If I do this or this, this is what, if I just get a new set of golf clubs, I'll be able to hit the perfect shot right there. Well, if you've ever been golfing with me, you know that that is not true. Sometimes we think this or this or this is what's going to make me happy. If I do this, if I have this behavior in my life, this is what's going to make me happy. Verse 4 says, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that, that the wind drives away. The wicked are not so. In Hebrew, this reads, Not so the wicked. Meaning what? Means that he's not happy. He doesn't meditate on the truth. He doesn't become like a tree and ultimately is not fruitful. Not so the wicked. One of the common commentaries that I read, they gave this description of if you have a kid that's running out into the street, you're not going to go, hey, Joey, would you please not run out in the street? Joey, it may be dangerous for you out there, but I'm telling you what, if my kid was headed to the street, I'd be going, stop! Don't do that! Come back! It's dangerous out there! And that's what this is saying. Don't go there. Because you're going to be tempted 
to think otherwise. It's saying, pay attention. Please pay attention to this. Not so the wicked. Because we'll be tempted to think otherwise. I know that I've been there. Do you see the wicked prospering? you see the benefits that come to the compromising lifestyle? Sure you do. Some of the earthly pleasures and some of those nice things that come with that kind of life, if you're just willing to compromise and he's screaming at you, not so the wicked, warning sign, warning sign, pay attention, pay attention to where that leads. You see, all these things we just described about the righteous, the blessed and the godly, the wicked are not like the trees. So what are they like? Verse 4 says that they're like the chaff which the wind drives away. Not long ago, I was at a baseball game and I had these peanuts in my hand. I was eating peanuts. So I'd crack open the shell and throw them on the floor like all good baseball games are. You throw, let somebody else pick them up, right? I know you guys have done it. But, but inside, what in there? So then you have the peanut there, right? And then around the peanut is that little red skin junk, Right? I'm not going to eat that. It tastes her- terrible. And so what do I do? I take that little skin off and I learn a trick. I throw the peanuts up in the air. That falls to the side. I have the peanuts and then the peanuts go in my mouth. I think, wow, what a great, what a great illustration of chaff. But Ray Steadman says this. He says, I do not think city folks understand chaff. In Montana, every fall we had harvesters who came around with a thrashing rig. The bundles of wheat would be thrown into the machine. The straw would be blown out onto the stack and the wheat would come dribbling down, out to be poured into trucks or wagons to be taken to the granary. But floating around in the air everywhere was chaff. It was the awfulest stuff you ever saw. It stuck to the skin wherever you were sweating. On the back of your neck and down your shirt, it created frightful itching. It was universally regarded as totally worthless. And he adds clear back in David's day, a thousand years before Christ, the only thing they could think to do with chaff was to let the wind blow it away. Still, 2,000 years after Christ, the only thing we can do with chaff is blow it away. So not so the wicked. There is not a root about the chaff. It's just useless. It serves no good purpose. So it's saying, not so the wicked, they are like chaff which the wind drives away. So it's saying that the wicked will not experience what the first three verses are stating. But in the second part, he comes to some conclusions. In verse 5 it says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. See, I thought, the, to be honest with you, I thought that the wicked had to stand in the judgment. And what I learned was that this word stand really means to stand tall. The wicked will not stand tall. They will bow at the judgment. They will not stand tall as if to be able to handle what the judgment will bring. They will be on their faces. They will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinner in the congregation of the righteous. I know this is a little bit deep, but Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. 
Well, may the saints long for heaven where no evil men shall dwell there, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. All the congregations upon earth are mixed. Every church hath one devil in it. Every church has, well, maybe just one? (laughs) No, just kidding. Um, The tares grow in the same furrows as the wheat. There is no floor which is is as yet thoroughly purged from chaff. Sinners mixed with saints, as dross mingles with gold. Righteous lots are this side, have been continually vexed by the men of Sodom. Let us rejoice that in the general assembly and church of the firstborn above, there shall by no means be abetted a single unrenewed soul. When I read that, I thought, what a frightful bit of information that feels like. If you do not know Jesus, you won't be in the congregation of the righteous. And those of us who will be there won't be there because of who we are or what we've done. We'll be there because of what Jesus has done for us and because we are in Him. What an incredible thought. If you are in Christ, you will be in the congregation of the righteous. What a great thought. If you were to die today and you are in Christ and believe what He has done for you, you will be in the congregation of the righteous. Verse 6 says, Because the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What an incredible word, perish. It's not a, not a lively word, is it? Perish. You see, there's a day coming in all of our lives that, we'll, that we will, there will be an end. And we'll stand before Him who knows everything about us. He will examine to find if there's a cleansing through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that will be what gets us into heaven. So let me wrap up this psalm. This, I said it before. Complete happiness comes from being single-mindedly committed to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Complete happiness comes from being single-mindedly committed to Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, you may be here at church for the first time or you may have attended here for a long, long time, but I know personally that there are times in my life that Jesus calls me to get my life back together. That he calls me to to go, you know what, you've gotten a little bit off course. Let's get back together. Let's get it back together. I need to get my priorities back to where they belong. See, I don't think there's anything more important than being single-mindedly committed to Jesus Christ. I pray that you will chew on those words of what it really means to be single-mindedly committed to Jesus Christ when you're when you have a tendency or a desire to stray off to do what you choose to do versus what God is calling you to do. Worship team, if you'll come up at this time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know that this is not um, necessarily an easy passage because it talks about the wicked and we have to examine our own hearts. We have to examine our own lives. Father, I know that there are times when I fall into that category. I know there are times when I struggle with wanting to do my own thing and to live my own life my own way. 
But Father, I pray that you will continue to convict me and put me in a place that calls me back to you. That my heart's desire is one thing, and that is to be Christ-like. I pray for the people out here today that you would touch their hearts when Scripture says, not so the wicked, that you would draw them back to you. When it says to focus on your word and to meditate on your word, I pray that we would find passages and get into your word so we can understand what you want us to do and how you want us to live our life. Father, thank you for this opportunity where we can share and worship you together. Father, we can be surrounded by people who love and care for us. That we are a family, we are not perfect. But Father, our heart's desire is to be like you. In Jesus' name, amen.